0: Amen. Yes, Lord. All right. Thank you. you. may be seated and grab your copy of the Word of God wherever you might be, online or on campus, and open to 1 Peter chapter number 2. 1 Peter chapter number 2. You see uh, this tree behind me? Can y'all see it in the back? Can y'all see this tree? Yeah, p- pretty good-sized tree, isn't it? This is what we're calling our family tree. Uh, this is a tool we're going to use uh, to help us share the gospel uh, with people in our lives, in our schools, at home, at work, wherever we might be. And I'm going to teach you how to use this tool over the next uh, three weeks. I'm so, listen, I've been waiting for this series all year long. I'm ready to climb into this series with an introductory message today. I'm going to set all this up for you, okay? I want to talk about today some family traits that we share as the family of God. And I'm calling them family traits of our family tree. And we find them in 1 Peter 2, verse 9 through 23. So today's message, we're going to walk through these traits and see how we are, what we share as a part of the family of God, these traits that we have. You may say, Pastor, listen, I don't have one evangelistic trait in my body. Well is that true? Well, we're going to find out, we're going to see what family traits we share. As a part of the family of God now the next three Sundays I'm gonna teach you what this is about and how to use it but today I want us to dive in in this introductory message and talk about okay what traits do we share as the family of God I pray this will inspire you and help you to understand that with the help of the Holy Spirit you can share the hope you have in Christ with anybody anywhere and at any time so that's my prayer today so 10 family traits of our family tree. Let's look at the first one. We see it in First Peter 2, verse number 9. There's 10 of them, and we'll get through them, I promise. So here's the first one. We are a chosen race. First Peter 2, verse number 9. We are a chosen race. Notice how the Holy Spirit communicates this to us in verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. A people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Hey, church, in Christ we have been chosen as a chosen race. Now you'll notice this begins with a, a word that's a contrasting word, it's the word but. And what lies before it is what the Lord is explaining, Holy Spirit through Peter. Is that Jesus Christ is either the cornerstone, the capstone, he is the cornerstone, but for those who are believing he is that. For those that disbelieve, he's a stumbling block, right? So there's some who believe and some who do not believe, but the Holy Spirit says, listen, hey church, you are a chosen race. In Christ you are chosen. Now Peter had to learn this. (laughs) Peter had to learn that the gospel was not just for the Jews, but it was also for the Gentiles. And God used Cornelius to teach him that. You can read about that in Acts chapter 10, that he figured out, he realized, oh, this gospel is not only for the Jews, it's also for the Gentiles. See, uh, being a chosen race means that every single person who has surrendered their Uh, Lives to Christ who has forsaken their sin who have repented of their sin who have believed on Jesus who came to die For your sin uh, was buried and raised to life Every single person who comes to Christ alone by grace alone through faith alone is a part of this chosen race and you might think to yourself well, this seems kind of narrow-minded that there's only one (laughs) right a chosen race is God a racist is God being racist by saying there's only one chosen race, well, of course God is not racist. God chose Israel initially, so that all nations would be blessed. They rejected Him, but so then He chose the church. And hey, if I remember correctly, I think it's the church we're called to make disciples of all nations. Is that right? Yes. And then uh, the the church is made up of people from every race, tribe, language, and people. So we are a chosen race. Here's what this means. You and I have been chosen to go take this message and to share with people that Jesus' first coming means that God is with us. Jesus' cross means that God is for us. And Jesus' second coming means that God is in us until he comes to get us. This is a message that we're to point people to and share with people. So here's the bottom line when you think about being a chosen race. Here's what you need to know. Although God does not need you, He wants you. And although we don't want Him, (laughs) oh, how we desperately need Him. We are a chosen race. Second second trait we all share as a family of God. This is something all of us share. Number two, we are a royal priesthood. Now, I know we don't really go around using that word a whole lot, priesthood. What in the world are you talking about? We are a royal priesthood. What is Peter referring to here? Well, we need to go back to the Old Testament. Uh, They had a group of people called the Levites, and the Levites were priests that God had chosen, and those had duties that only they could perform. To sum it up, they made sacrifices on behalf of the people to God. Like That's what a priest does. A priest goes to God on behalf of the people. A prophet goes to the people on behalf of God. So these priests would make sacrifices. Now, um, amongst them would be one called a high priest. Once a year, on the Day of Atonement, he would take one sacrifice, go behind the veil into the Holy of Holies, sprinkle uh, the blood on a mercy seat, which represented all the people's sins were covered at the Day of Atonement. In other words, when you read the Old Testament, just, just, you know, if you want some leisurely reading, just read Leviticus, right? <laughs> read through Leviticus. And what you'll discover as you read through Leviticus, you'll say, man, it was really difficult to get to God, wasn't it? In the Old Testament, God is not easily approached in the Old Testament, just not. So here's what Peter's saying. Guess what, church? <laughs> All that's changed. Like now we have uninterrupted, Unlimited, we don't have a 4G network to God. We don't have a 5G network to God. We have a forever G network to God. Never ceasing, never ending, unrivaled, unlimited, uninterrupted access to God. In other words, in the Old Testament, God's people had a priesthood. In the New Testament and today, we are a priesthood. In Christ, you have absolutely unhindered access to the throne of grace and you at any time anywhere can pray for anybody to be saved you can pray for your lost friends and family anywhere anytime you can intercede for one another you are a priest in Christ you are a priest so what does that mean for us today here's what it means I'm your pastor I'm not your priest right Well, what does that mean? Well, you, you don't have to come to me to pray. You can pray in Christ. You don't have to come to me to read your Bible. You can read your Bible. You have a personal relationship with the God who created you and you have access to him. Well, we don't have a, an office in the church called a priestly office. We don't have a, an office of the priest. We don't elect priest, right? We have deacons and we have pastors and you have access, I have access. We are all on level ground at the cross. We are a royal priesthood. J. Vernon McGee, when he preached this text, he said, he called the message this, you are a Catholic priest. Now, Dr. McGee was not Catholic, okay? But what he meant was the word Catholic means universal, all-embracing. So in Christ, we're all priests of God. Every one of us has full, unhindered access to God. Isn't that good news? Like you don't have to go through a system anymore. Jesus is it, man. He's giving you access to the Father. Number three, I'm getting too excited, gotta go on. Number three, third trait that we all share as the family of God. Number three, verse nine again, we are a holy nation. Now, I don't know about you, and I've been to Asia and Africa, of course, I've been in America, I've never seen a holy nation. That almost seems like an oxymoron. I've never been to a nation that didn't have any suffering, that had no pain or addictions, no hurt, no misery, no persecution, no corruption, no pollution. I've never been to a nation that was free uh, from people being offended or being offensive, that was free from worries and trouble and vexation. I've never been to a a land that was free of any of that. So what does he mean we're a holy nation? I've never seen a, a campaign say, make America holy again. America's never been holy, right? We don't live in a holy land, but we are set apart by God and set apart to God and set apart for God. We are set apart. That's what holy means. We're in this unholy culture and unholy land and unholy planet. We can be set apart to God and for God. That's what that means. We are set apart. We are a holy nation. Even in an unholy land, we can live set apart. This is how Tony Evans said it. I love what Tony Evans said. He said, you can't serve God in popular opinion. You can't serve God and people-pleasing. can't serve God and immorality or serve God and pride or serve God and bitterness or serve God and yourself. You've got to choose this day whom you will serve. We are a holy nation. We are chosen by God, church, to tell all the nations that they can choose this day to serve the Lord. That's what we're chosen to do, a holy nation. Number four, here we go. Verse number 9 again, we are not our own. You don't belong to you and I don't belong to me. We no longer live, but Christ lives in us. We have been bought at a price. We are not our own. Verse 9 says it like this, we are a people for his own possession. You don't belong to you and I don't belong to me. We belong to the Lord. If you can say, behold the Lamb of God who takes away my sin, you must also say, Behold, I belong to the God of the Lamb. You don't belong to yourself. You belong to him. This word for uh, a people for his own possession, the idea here is to purchase or to acquire at a price. You were bought at a price. Have you ever paid for something and then thought, man, I just didn't get my money's worth? That ever happened to you? Now, you might pay for the same thing I pay for and we pay the same thing and you might think I got my money's worth and I may think, well, not really. We went uh, to the beach a couple weeks ago. Took It was me and five girls. Five girls. Wow. So we go to the beach and we do this dolphin cruise and I thought we got our money's worth because we got on this dolphin cruise and I, look, I'm allergic to the sun. Sunlight, I'm allergic to it. Not really, but I don't like the sun, Okay. <laughs> I try to stay out of the sun, and so we get on this dolphin cruise, and we're not on it very long, and a storm is coming, and I just thought, yes, we're out there snorkeling, and the sun's beating down on us, and the storm comes out of nowhere, and a lot of people were bummed out about the storm. I was loving it, man. It hid the sun, like there's no, no more sunlight. It was great. I felt like I got my money's worth. Somebody else on there may say, no, I didn't feel like I got my money's worth. Have you ever paid for something and thought, well, I really didn't get my money's worth? Couple of, a couple of years ago at the, at the Chattanooga prayer breakfast, uh, the speaker for that year uh, said, God bought you at a price. Is he getting his money's worth? Is he getting his money's worth? We're not our own. We don't belong to ourselves. Jonah even said salvation belongs to the Lord. And, and I dare say if salvation belongs to the Lord, then it makes sense that those who are saved, those who are being saved, those who will be saved, also belong to the Lord. Like there he is. You are not your own. You belong to Him. So that's why Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you to do? See, in Christ, you have no freedom to decide. Well, uh, Sam, I, I, just, I really don't think I have the gift of evangelism, and I really don't think that I've been called to have gospel conversations. I just, I just don't think that's what God's called me to do. Listen, you don't get to decide that yeah that's not your choice you don't have freedom to say well uh, God's not called me to make disciples of all nations and to be his witness you you have no right to say that you are not your own you belong to the Lord David Evans said it like this he said I don't he said if you say I don't have to come to church or connect to a church on campus or online I don't have to come to church to be a Christian that's like saying I don't have to go home to be married That probably won't work too well. John Hanna said it like this, we fear insignificance, but what we really fear is that God might call us to do something that we think is insignificant. But to him, nothing's insignificant. James Finley said, we need to give up the control we think we have over the life we think we're living. We're not in control. We're not our own. We are not our own. Number five, fifth one here, still in verse number nine, number five is this, we are gospel conversationalists. That's what God's called us to be, to have conversations with people about the Lord. And look look how the Holy Spirit lays this out. Listen to this: that you may proclaim, verse 9, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That you may proclaim, that you may publish, that you may advertise, that you may make known the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What a privilege we have. What is the job description of a follower of Christ? You can say it like this. We are not in the PC business. We're not called to be politically correct. We're not in the PC business. We're in the PR business, the public relations business. We're to make known the one who has set us free and saved us from our sins. Listen, God made you the way you are, so that you can tell your world who He is. That's what God, He's given you a personality so you can take the truth of the gospel and share it with the people in your family and in your circle of influence. That's what God has done. He has made you who you are so that you can tell the world who He is. Think about it like this Dr. Matt Queen asked a very pointed question. He said, listen, what if the person who in, who in the Holy Spirit shared the gospel with you and explained to you how to repent of your sins and how to believe in Jesus alone and confess Him as Lord, what if that person were equally as urgent and committed to evangelizing you as you are in evangelizing others? Wow, that's a pointed question, isn't it? See, it's not your job and it's not my job to save anybody. We can't. It is our job to tell somebody about the one who can save. We must. That's what we're called to do. We are gospel conversationalists. Number six, we are God's people. Verse number 10, wow to verse number 10. Look how verse number 10 starts off. It starts off with just hopelessness. Look at the first part of verse 10. Once you were not a people. Like just hopeless, man. Utter hopelessness you were not a people but now oh my soul but now good God but now you are God's people well what happened Jesus is what happened he came and, and he made a way for us to enter into a relationship with our Creator God the Son came to this earth into our mess and lived perfectly and went to the cross and died for us and before Christ we were not a people we were scattered we were not unified we're not redeemed we're not saved but now see now not only are we a people but now we are God's people <laughs> what like we went from being nothing to being God's people yes Once you you, you had not received mercy, once you had not received the compassion and loving kindness and mercy of God, there was a time before Christ when we we did not know what it meant to not get what we deserved. We didn't know what it meant to receive mercy, but now we have received mercy. Now he has lavished his mercy upon us. See, church, we were in darkness until God brought us into the light. We were not a people until God made us a people. We we had not received mercy until he lavishly poured out mercy on us. Don't you dare forget who you are. Don't you dare forget the sacrifice Christ made to make you a child of God. To graft you into the family of God. To adopt you into the family of God. Don't you dare forget that you are a child of God in Christ. You are God's son and daughter. You are the king's children in Christ. Don't you forget, Charles Haddon Spurgeon said it like this, Christians, we are far too prone to engrave our trials and sufferings in marble and our blessings in sand. Hey, don't you dare forget who you are. God's people span the entirety of scripture think about like this in the new testament there are 260 chapters in the new testament 260 chapters only 12 of them only 12 chapters in the new testament do not reference the old testament 248 chapters in the new testament reference the old testament see this, this good news, this gospel, was not a, a last-ditch effort for God to redeem us. This was not God's plan B. God, is, God had the redemptive plan set before the foundation of the world. From Genesis to Revelation, it is the story of the redemption of man. That's why 248 chapters in the New Testament reference the Old Testament. Why? Because it's about God's people. It's about God redeeming a people for himself. It's about God taking people who were not a people and making them God's people. Man, you represent the king. You're an ambassador of God. Don't forget who you are. We are God's people. Now with that comes something very strange, and we see that in verse number 11. This is very strange. What comes with being a part of God's people? Here's what comes with being God's people. This leads to the seventh trait, and this is strange. We are strangers in a strange land. Like, we don't really belong here, right? look Look at verse number 11. Here's how this lays out. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners. Somebody say sojourners. Yeah, aliens, pilgrims. exiles. Abstain from the passions of the flesh. That's strange, isn't it? I mean, our flesh rises up in us, and we want to indulge in those passions of our flesh. I am convinced. Church, I am convinced. That if we feared sin more than we fear COVID-19, my heavens, a revival would break out on this planet and Jesus would come back because the gospel would get to the ends of the earth. If we feared sin as much as we fear this virus, we can't see. Now, I'm not saying it's not real, but I know sin is real. And I know we're not scared of that. Man, we need to be fearful. It's strange, isn't it? We're we're strangers in this very strange land. Like our spirit, the Holy Spirit within us. It just doesn't doesn't seem like we belong here. Notice what it says. We're passing through. We're we're pilgrims. It's meaning we're not going to stay very long. We're just passing through strangers in a strange land." Here's what the Lord is saying, God would rather you be physically homeless, remember Jesus had no place to lay his head, God would rather you be physically homeless, professionally homeless, educationally homeless, politically homeless, rather than spiritually homeless. That's why Spurgeon said it like this, to live for a political party is unworthy of any man or woman who professes to be a Christian. Think about it like this, you ever tried to share the gospel with somebody or have a conversation with somebody about Jesus and you're trying to get into that conversation and they look at you like you're strange? that ever happened to anybody? Or is it just me? I, I know I'm strange, but. And then after you share with them or attempt to, do they now view you as a stranger, like they just don't want anything to do with you? Why is that? Because you are a stranger. Like, we're strangers in a strange land. It is radical to live for the gospel, to live for Jesus, to live in a manner worthy of the gospel is radical on this planet. It's not very radical to say, I'm a Christian, especially in America. People ignore you if you say, I'm a Christian, they just ignore you. But if you live it out, I'm telling you, if you live it out, they will look at you like something strange about them. Yeah, it is. We're strangers In a strange land. Just as this land is strange to you and me, we are just as strange to this land. But take heart, Jesus is stronger than this world is stranger. Amen? We are strangers in a very strange land. Number eight, the eighth family trait that we share as the family of God. Number eight, we are witnesses to the world. Verse number 12. Okay, we're God's people, we're strangers here, but while we're here, okay, while we're here, we're witnesses. We are witnesses to the world while we're here, like it or not. Peter says it this way, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Just like I said a moment ago, we're strange because we're living in a way that's different. And they see that, and they take note of that, and they recognize that, and then one day they'll glorify God for it. So keep your lives honorable. In other words, we are witnesses to this world. So let me ask you a question. Believer, when the world looks into your life, when someone who's far from God looks into your life, what do they see? Do they see hope? Or do they see despair? Do they see Faith or fear? Do they see trust or doubts? When, when the world looks in, th- do they see truth or falsehood? Do they see peace or chaos? Do they see joy or sadness? Do they see compassion or callousness? Do they see forgiveness or bitterness? Impurity or purity? When they look in, what do they see? We are witnesses to this world. So before you post anything, ask yourself some questions. Please, ask yourself some questions before you put anything on social media. Ask questions like this. Is this profitable? Is what I'm about to post edifying? How does it point people to Christ? How does it disciple people? Am I exalting self or the Lord? Is it clear? Is it argumentative? Is it kind? Is it glorifying God? Ask yourself some questions. Don't put Jesus in your profile and then use your platform as a weapon of unkindness. That's like putting a fish on your car and road raging all over town. Don't do it. We are witnesses to this world in Christ. We are to be the most compassionate. We're to be the most kind. We're to be the most honest and trustworthy people on the planet. We represent Jesus our king. Number nine, we are dual citizens. Now this comes from a section of scripture, verse 13 through 17, but I'm only going to focus on two little phrases here. So I'm going to start reading in 13 and end in 17. You just follow along with me. Uh, The ninth trait that we share is the family of God. We are dual citizens. Look at verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme Last two phrases, fear God, honor the emperor. Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give unto God what is God's, right? So we have this dual citizenship, yeah sure, one of them is temporary, we're only here temporarily, the other one is eternal, so that's our true citizenship is in heaven, but while we're here, we need to fear God and honor the emperor. In other words, you need to remember first of all that God and the emperor are not the same, okay? I know there's been some emperors through history who thought they were God, but they're not. Uh, The emperor is the one whom God has put in place in whatever authoritative role he or she is in. It's the authoritative structure of this planet is established by God and God alone. Nobody is in power or in any position outside of the will of God. It didn't surprise God. He has established the authoritative structure. Therefore, we are to submit, because when you submit to his authority, that's where freedom really lies. Now, what does that mean? If you've got a foolish boss, or you've got a boss that's acting a fool, what does that mean? Well, it means that you pray for them, you serve them as long as you can, and not sin. Don't do anything that they would ask you to do that's sinful or wrong. doesn't mean you have to stay there forever. You can look for work elsewhere, that I not mean you have to be there forever, but while there, make sure that you're submitting to the authority in a way that fears God and honors the one whom, to whom you're submitting. Because ultimately, remember, it's not about you, it's not about your boss or teacher whomever, it's about the Lord, period. It's about Him, and He has established it. Now that does not mean that you have to do something that is wrong. Don't speak evil against Him, but at the same time, do not... If they tell you to do something wrong or sinful, don't do it. We have dual citizenship. Let me ask it like this. If I were to ask you in the room or or, or worshiping online, online if you want to put a thumbs up or raise your hand, that'd be great online if you want to do that in the chat or whatever. But here in the room, if I were to ask you... uh, If you've chosen heaven or hell, for those of you who have said yes to the gospel, yes to the Lord Jesus, and you've chosen heaven over hell, I want you to raise your hand. If you know right now if you die you go to heaven, raise your hand. Right, your name's written in heaven and you know it, right? Most of us have chosen heaven over hell, right? Most of us. But I don't know how many of us, I just don't know how many of us have chosen heaven over the earth. You are not a permanent citizen of this planet. You are not to store up treasures on this earth. You are absolutely not. You you are not to live for the here and the now. You are to live for the already and the not yet. For heaven. Think about the things above. Too many of us yeah, we say well what who in their right mind would want to go to hell and not go to heaven? Who would choose hell over heaven? At the same time as believers, what what are we doing choosing the earth over heaven? And this is not our home? <laughs> we 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 have dual citizenship. But our permanent citizenship's in heaven. I had an Indian family in my neighborhood and he was talking to me about uh, moving back to India and he wanted dual citizenship in both India and America. So he was going through the process. I'm not going back to India until I get citizenship here in America. And then that just opened a door for me to talk about our citizenship in heaven. And how you don't, have to, you don't have to wait for that. Jesus has already finished it. The work is done. The redemption is done. It's accomplished. It's finished. And right now, you can put your faith in this one who died for you and was raised from the dead to bring you life eternal right now and forever. And you can have a personal relationship with the God who made you. Now, wouldn't you want to do that? Wouldn't you want to enter into that citizenship where there's no way? You can do it right now. Just open a door for me to be able to share the gospel with my Indian neighbor about our citizenship in heaven. We are dual citizens, church. Number 10, last one. Last one, we are God's appointed. Now, this section of Scripture is verse 18 through verse 23, that we are God's appointed. And so I'm going to read this section again. I'm only going to focus on one phrase in these verses, but I want to read beginning in verse 18. So here we go. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, somebody say mindful of God, say mindful of God. That's a phrase I want you to hold on to. That when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin neither was deceit found in his mouth when he was reviled he did not revile in return when he suffered he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly we are God's appointed now this raises a question doesn't it does the Bible condone slavery because this is clearly talking about a slave and a master relationship. Does the Bible condone slavery? Well, the answer is no. You have to think about this in the context of the first century. And in the first century, slaves had no rights. There, there was no civil rights in the first century. There were no labor unions. Uh, there weren't, was no legal protection. There was no ability, to, ability at all to protest. There was no uh, civil lawsuits. There was no government board or rights whatsoever. No, no, no one to solve disputes for the slaves. No one to speak up for them. In fact, here, here's what was happening. These slaves found themselves in a situation they could not change. Okay? <laughs> no way it could be changed. So, how is a believer are they going to make it through that? This is an unjust situation. Absolutely, it's unjust. Without question, it's unjust. So, how are they going to make it? How, how are they going to live and carry on? The little phrase be mindful of God. Be conscious of God. Be mindful of God. Some of you are here today and you are in a lose lose situation. Th- there's no way you can change your situation. Your health is such that it cannot change. Your finances are such it can't change. At home, family, marriage, school, work, education, whatever it might be, you are in a situation you cannot change. So what do you do? (laughs) What you have to do is you have to be mindful of God. You have to get to the place where you believe with every fiber of your being, from the top of your head to the tips of your toes, that you believe that your disappointments are God's appointments. You have to believe that God has you where you are, He knows where you are, and you will be there until He moves you somewhere else. Period. You, you've got to come to the place. Where you believe that even though you can't see the big picture, that doesn't mean there's not a big picture. Let me ask it this way. Do you believe, and this is a question I'm asking to you. Do you believe, at home or online, do you, or in the room, do you believe that the Lord is present in your worst moments? Do you believe that? Do you believe that he's there? Do you believe that he cares? You better settle it right now, believer, in your heart that you're gonna believe that whatever you face and whatever comes, you believe that God is with you and involved in your worst moments. And I'll prove it to you. First Peter 2.24 is proof that God is with us in our worst moments. First Peter 2.24, the Bible says he himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness this proves that he's with us in our worst moment even in our sin he he took our sin on himself and he bore it in his body by his wounds we are healed he did that for you and he did that for me and you can have a relationship with him he wants you to be able to die to sin and live to righteousness and you can have that By believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead and confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Hey, if you'll take a moment and pray, just say something like this, Father in heaven, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need forgiveness. God, forgive me. I believe that Jesus died for me. I I put my faith and trust in him right now as my Savior and Lord. Hey, if you believe in your heart and you call on the Lord's name, if you call on Jesus' name, you'll be saved. So we want to help you with that. So text the name Jesus to 79969. We'd love to talk with you on how you can have that relationship with God. So text Jesus to that number. Here's our takeaway, church, for the day as we wrap this up. Here we go. Jesus makes us family. We're different in so many ways. So many ways we're different. But one name makes us family. It's the name of Jesus. My brother used to work for the Saints, and at that time there was a player by the name of Jabari Greer. Uh, he played at Tennessee, and both have the, we both have the same last name, and so Jabari would call Joey cousin all the time, say, cuz, we're family. And one away game that that Joey went to, him and the crew went to the stadium to set up for the game, and the players and coaches go right to the hotel the night before the game. And so after they set up the stadium, sidelines and locker room, they go back to the hotel, and it's late, and they're tired, and so they get their key, and Joey Joey notices that all the other equipment crew guys are staying on one floor. He's staying on a different floor. He thought that was odd, but he walked up to the door, stuck the key in the door, opened the door, walked in, tripped over some luggage, and Jabari Greer jumped out of his bed because we're family, but we ain't this close. You got the wrong room. So because they had the last name, they gave Joey Jabari's key to his room. They even switched their paychecks one time. Hey, Joey and Jabari had little in common. They're not of the same ethnicity. I promise you they're not the same athletically. Not, Not in the same category economically. But what made them family was their name. Their last name. Now what makes us family is not my last name and not your last name, but it's the name that outlasts every name. It's the name of Jesus. He makes us family. You see, it's Jesus. Unlike Abraham, who was the father of the Jews, Jesus, who said, before Abraham was, I am, makes us a family of many, not a few. See, it's just Jesus and he alone. The firstborn from the dead to Nicodemus said, you must be born again. Jesus makes us family. The same one who gave the children the right to become, the uh, right to come to him is the same one who gives us the right to become children of God. Jesus makes us family. The same one who looked at the Pharisees and ID'd them as descendants of the devil is the same one who delivered us from the domain of the devil. And his name is Jesus. He makes us family. Family. The same one who was known by some of our forefathers is the same one who is still making his father known, and his name is Jesus. This same one who includes, you can look it up in the New Testament, he includes his genealogy in the scripture, is the same one who includes us in his genealogy script. Jesus makes us family. The same one who told the story of the prodigal. Jesus told about the son who who asked his father, told his father, give me the inheritance that's coming to me. This same one, Jesus, guarantees the inheritance we have coming to us. Hey, Jesus makes us family. The same one that made purification for our sin is the same one who makes us kin. The same one who took on our suffering is the same one who takes away our sin. Jesus makes us family. The lion of the tribe of Judah is the same one who includes every tribe in his lineage, even in Chattanooga. Hallelujah! Jesus makes us family. Church, let's make a fuss over the one who makes us family. Let's make a fuss over Jesus.